everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 136th episode of the podcast that takes you on a journey through the Marvel universe of superheroes and all of their long underwear adventures. Yeah. We started back at the beginning with the Fantastic Four number one, and we are going all the way up to, I don't know, at least as far as uh, October 1966, because mm-hmm. that's where we're getting today. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have we have bulletproof suits, too, not just long underwear tonight. Yeah, yeah. Well, the bulletproof helps. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be covering tonight Strange Tales 151 and The Avengers 34 to wrap up September. Uh-oh. And then we're going to go over to Thor 135 and Sergeant Fury 37 to start into October. Hey, all right. Yes. Was the uh-oh because you realize we're going to have to vote later? Yes. And of course, as always, I never look ahead when it comes to that. So we're just going to be sitting here humming and hawing. Right. Hopefully there's some, hopefully there's some clear winners and losers this month. Well, we definitely I don't, don't want to um, do overkill on it. So... Um, Get it? Because that's the name of the first story. Oh. Isn't Overkill also a character? And I was scrambling right now to decide if it was Marvel or DC. Uh, well, there's Overkill, who's Image. Overkill. Oh, that's Image. Of yeah. course that'd be Image. Yeah. They were going to call him Overkill, and they decided to go for a pun instead. Overkill. It's the only Image character that Stan Lee helped create. Ah. So, Strange Tales 151. Um, we have read 151 of these things. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., is in this big, like, jetpack get-up thing, but the kind that has, like, the, um, the thruster grips up front, so you can, like, you know, decide to go or not go, in the mysterious city of Carnopolis, at the edge of the ageless rolling Sahara, a radar-type view screen operated by a team of merciless hooded technicians secretly reveals a fateful sight. It's jetpack action Nick Fury! Don't yield. Script, Smiling Stan Lee. Layouts, Jolly Jack Kirby. Illustrations, Jaunty Jim <gasps> Steranko. Whoa. And lettering, adorable, adorable Artie Simek. Hood laundering, irate Irving Forbush. Back shield. Okay, so um, Nick Fury was invited to a party being hosted by Jet Setter and Supreme Hydra, Don Caballero. And he's flying into the party and he realizes as he lands in the desert that um, ain't nobody here. And he knew the party invitation was a ruse. They obviously are no longer pretending it's not a ruse. So he is ready for action. Hydra has, of course, seen him approach. Don Caballero is sitting there sipping some wine. And um, he's like, we're going to let him land. He's going to come in with self-confidence. And then Hydra is going to strike and kill him. Um, He makes an interesting uh, uh, comment. For too long have I masqueraded as Grand Imperator of the secret organization known as THEM. The time has finally come to be revealed as the supreme all-high head of Hydra. Um, Nick Fury walks into the ruined city of Carnopolis. We're talking like ancient ruins, pillars, crumbly steps, large statues that come to life and attack you. 
uh, Nick Fury fights the statues and he has these big old gun bullets and the statues crumble. And meanwhile, back at a strategically located shield missile site, um, the, uh, the colonel left instructions to launch an H missile at Nick Fury when he finds the overkill horn. And Jasper Sitwell is the one who's been entrusted with doing this. Dugan and Gabe Jones are not happy because, of course, that means Nick Fury has given orders for his own suicide. So, yeah, Jones, Dugan, they're not happy. Dugan tries to bust jo- uh, Sitwell in the face, and Gabe Jones actually draws and shoots Dugan with a trank, um, which Dugan's like, oh. Meanwhile, uh, Nick Fury was captured by those living soldiers. Uh, he's been put into a cage by the Supreme Hydra, Don Caballero, who has um, actually taken Fury's clothes off and is looking at how nice his suit is. Oh, look at this flammable shirt and this bulletproof steel jacket. You got some great clothes here, man. Oh, and this tie. I like it. It's got printed circuits on it. Pretty neat. Um, meanwhile, uh, Don Caballero wheels out the overkill horn and Fury's like, no, no, no. If you blast that thing now, the sonic feedback will demolish all of you. He's like, no, 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 no. Just because your overkill horn had the sonic feedback problem doesn't mean that our overkill horn has a sonic feedback problem. And just to show you, I'm going to shoot it at this model globe of the earth that's like seven feet tall and he does and it explodes meanwhile dugan is laying up in bed resting up from his uh tranquilizer and jones is like i'm sorry i shot you in the butt and um anyways so let's see sitwell calls jones on his uh dick tracy watch agents dugan and jones report to communication section on the double condition red and so while they're reporting we go back to carnopolis Nick Fury is taken topside. There's a big old jet and uh, they're loading up Nick Fury on and Nick Fury fights back against the Hydras. But, you know, their whole like, you know, you knock one of us down, two more take its place kind of thing. So they eventually um, they don't quite overpower Nick. He actually manages to grab a gun. And even though they throw grenades at him and Don Caballero is like after him, he's headed for the plane. Get him. Nick Fury does manage to get to the plane. He takes off and Caballero is like, excellent. Because turns out the overkill horn is on that plane. And so one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to launch the overkill horn and it's going to destroy the plane. Or Jones and Sitwell and Dugan are going to launch the H-missile at the overkill horn signal, which is on the plane. And so it's going to kill Nick Fury. Either way, Nick Fury's about to die. Next the power of shield man last issue set up i was gonna say last week but that's not how that works here but last issue set up was really fun and then i feel like they just threw it all out oh because of caballero's like personality it was like he had this guise as a jet setter a partier like he had like this mobile party thing going on he knew more about shield than shield knew S.H.I.E.L.D. knew more about him than he knew. He had this front, and he was, like, secretly killing S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who spied on him. He invited Nick to this dinner. So you'd think this issue would be all about, like, intrigue and who knows what and lying and, like, meeting each other face-to-face and, like, putting on 
airs and disguises and really fun, cool spy stuff. But then he gets there and it's just like, nah, we're Hydra now. We're going to attack you. And it's going to be a one-man Howling Commando issue, I guess. And back to like the um, the generic overpowered weapons that don't really mean anything because we know they're going to get taken out before they actually do anything. Yeah, like zero investigation required. It's just Nick ripping off his shirt, Captain Kirk style, and like punching a lot of people and stealing the plane. Well, they ripped his shirt off of him. That's Captain true. Kirk's girlfriend style. That actually was pretty smart on their part. You know, you'd think they'd strip Bond down more often than they do, but right, took all but his this, gadgets away. This is our first Jim Starenko, and I feel like he kind of does eventually lend himself to the kind of story you were just describing. So I don't know if he was yeah. just going off of Kirby's layouts and you know was, was beholden to that or what, or how much of this was his idea. But um, his much-loved run at Marvel is a lot briefer than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. The cap issues he does, that two or three issue of cap, mm-hmm. those are his last issues essentially. Yeah. And after a huge gap out of comics, he does one Superman story in the 1980s, but I have not read it yet. Yeah. I don't know if I even noticed that Jim Steranko drew this. I thought it was just Kirby looking kind of weird, but I could see now. There are a it's... few places and I feel like he's more noticeable next issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause one of the weird things is he he does is he lengthens Fury's face. Mm. Fury has a square head, and he yeah. gets a narrow rectangular head. Mm-hmm. Maybe he looks a little smarter now. Maybe. Um, but yeah, Vestrenko is going to revolutionize the look of this book. He's going to do it slowly, but he does leave an indelible stamp on comics art. And yes. he, um, he doesn't have great politics and personality nowadays, but I feel like we can just Talk about his comics and not really go into all that. He also drew the number one favorite, fan favorite Captain America comic cover of all time, uh, as run by me back in like 2000-something on Comic Board's Captain America message board. So there you go. Is that the one? It's mostly white and has like Cap mm-hmm. and Bucky jumping or whatever? Yeah, that yeah. one. Out of yeah. all the volume one, that was everybody's favorite. That's like the one story where Rick Jones is honestly legit Bucky for five seconds. Yep. Yeah, I've I've admitted this on Twitter before. I don't think he's my fave in terms of art, but I actually have never read the Nick Fury stuff, so maybe that's where he really shines. We'll see, I, I guess. I've never read the Nick Fury stuff that he makes look so different. Mm-hmm. I've read several issues after this um, where it's still – mostly looking like the same kind of stories. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes from there. Um, I don't, yeah. I mean, I guess it was, it was kind of cool that it turned out they tricked him. That was neat. Uh, but I also call shenanigans or bonkers that like one out of two engines on this airplane is somehow this thing that overkill they're horn. all look like overkill horn. It's like, huh? How's that work? Why is this plane even flying? Right. That's weird. I right, don't know. That is weird. That's weird. Um, it was interesting that they made it sound like the whole them thing was part of Don Caballero's whole plan mm-hmm. to like have them as a false mask and Hydra is ultimately the true face. But he supposedly was the head of them also. Right. So that was just all the front so, for something. Where'd this guy come from? We probably never find that out. But uh, Yeah, we do. Oh, good. Because we I never know, found out where the last guy came from. No, no, no. He was, what, Bob Brown or whatever? No, that's Bob an Brown. Artist. All we knew is his wife died, and so he decided to take over the world with a giant by creating a giant terrorist organization. Right. Yeah, because that's what you do when you're grieving, I guess. I mean, I tried it back whenever you know I lost a lot of people, but 
It didn't stick. Well, this guy seems more legit as a leader of, uh, you know, Hydra, I guess. But uh, I don't know why exactly. Just because he's rich, I guess, and more clever. Did you notice the little mentions of Caballero maybe being a phony name? No. Page two. Uh-huh. Nick Fury is like, Caballero, I bet anything that's a phony name. wonder who he really is. Mm. And then I think it's later this issue, they're like, yeah, page eight. Because mm. both of those sounded like really weird references to me. Um, and whenever they did the second one, I was like, oh. The second uh, says, if only I knew who Caballero really is, he's got to be wearing some kind of disguise. Otherwise, he'd never go around without one of them crummy hoods covering his head. Ah. So the fact that he's letting his face be seen here, which, of course, is different than the last guy, is actually supposed to be meaningful for us. He's President Nixon. <gasps> no, he's number one of, of the Secret Empire. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, then he should not be here anymore. No. <laughs> um, I thought this might be the legit most helpless that Fury has been in this series. Well, he was captured by the last guy, too, but he wasn't stripped down and stuff. But he had to get help from what's her name, or from his daughter to get out. That's true. And this one is intentional. He's trying to get Hydra blown up. So he's mm -hmm. let himself get captured. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're experimenting with Gabe Jones's coloring in this issue. <sighs> yeah. Um, everything from white to brown to charcoal to. Yeah. It's definitely lighter in tone than they have done, but maybe they're trying for something. Four looks pretty good. Page four, the bottom right corner. It almost looks like that could actually exist. Mm-hmm. But then you go to like, you know, where he's shooting Dum Dum when he looks really weird again. Yeah, yeah, he does. He looks like he looks like he's what's that Spider Man villain that's like? I see the same thing, Tombstone. What's, yeah, Tombstone. He looks like yeah. Tombstone. <laughs> when your hair color and your skin color is exactly the same, something might not be right there. Well, that happens for some people, but uh, probably not slate gray. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. What else? What else? What else? Page eight. When um, Nick Fury's laughing at him, so you're the guys who are going to take over the world, huh? I'm betting you can't even take over a Joker named Nick Fury. Kind of reminded me whenever Tana Nile was unable to take over New York. Yeah. Like, no one would listen to her. No one would do anything she's... Actually, they did a lot of what she said, because they are like, okay, hokey, strange, alien-looking girl. We'll, we'll do what you say. I feel like even if these bullets were real and the grenades were real, he'd still have accomplished the same thing, because that's just how he is. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> They're all like, oh, they were fake. That's how they got away from That's how he got away from us. Like, okay, well, explain Sergeant Fury 1 through 32, because those weren't fake, but whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a story. That's a story. Speaking of that's a story, there's um, another one. Flipping ahead to Umar Strikes. This is not Jesus. You could just say, listen to episodes. We should have done some research ahead of time. Listen to Make Ours Marvel episodes, you know, Whatever to whatever to basically summarize the story that you're about to summarize. Yeah, this is this is very much a clip it's, show, which is weird because we had a clip show right after just Nick had left. One. I know. Um, okay, so Umar strikes hearken to these words, O true believer. After an imprisonment for time beyond measure, Umar, the unmentionable sister of this dread Dormammu, is free. Is she the unmentionable sister? Because you never mentioned her until two issues ago. <laughs> Or last issue, or whatever it was. I am so going to start calling my sister the unmentionable sister. <laughs> Script by Stan Lee, Defender of the Faith. Art by Bill Everett, Keeper of the Flame. And lettering by Artie Simic, Printer of the Word. Okay, so Umar has woken up. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess I should um, 
figure out what's happened while I was sleeping. Lamp of Lucifer, light my way. And she tells it to basically play TV for her. She watches <coughs> the origin of Doctor Strange. She watches how uh, he battled Baron Mordo. She watches how um, Dormammu empowered Mordo. And then Dormammu and Doctor Strange fought. And at first, Doctor Strange lost and then won. And then um, Eternity got involved and went against Dormammu and everything exploded. Also, Clea, because she's around, um, she's imprisoned, Dormammu imprisoned her, and um, we see the fight with Kalu, and um, we see Doctor Strange talking to Wong about having no money. Um, no, I'm sorry, that's where the actual... That's where the real story starts. That's where the actual start. story starts. So her visions fade when she gazes upon Doctor Strange, and now we see some stuff that's actually happening. Mm. The... Sanctum Sanctorum is wrecked because of the fight with Kalu. Wong is like, hey, if you want to have this thing repaired, we're going to need some money. And Doctor Strange is like, money? Who cares about money? Here's money. And he just magics up some money out of nowhere. And um, yeah, he sees his um, bowl of fire make a picture of the world on fire. And he's like, oh no, that means danger. Um Umar uses Clea to, like, the image of Clea to trick Doctor Strange into coming for her. An unspoken shriek for help from Clea. Oh, wait, no, no. She actually did use. I thought for She's a second. Using looking her. Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she actually gets Clea, actually throws her into some strange dimension where she's flying through space. And she sends, Umar sends Clea's fears to. Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange jumps into space to go after Clea, and that's where we end. So what did Jeez. you think of our three pages of story? <laughs> I was reading it the whole time going like, literally, we just had all this summarized right. for us. This is so weird. But, okay, so I have really no comments on on uh, Umar because we still don't know much about her. Other than to say, if we did not say last issue, she reminds me very much of Thor Ragnarok's Hela, I guess. Same idea. Okay, Locked yeah. Locked away sister, except I like that she saw how dumb Dormammu was. Yeah, but she also wants revenge on his death, even though she hates him. I always wonder about that. Families are weird. Only I can kill my brother. I'll tell you what I did notice, though. What's that? On the actual new content, I feel like Doctor Strange is hanging out too much with arrogant immortal beings or something. Mm-hmm. Because... The way he's talking to Wong on this issue is like, if I were Wong, I'd be like, dude, you were a freaking chiropractor two weeks ago. You know? Like, yeah. He's like acting like, how how dare you talk to me about mortal money problems? You know? It's like, what? You are immortal. You're human. You know what money is. So stop being weird. And I'm just kind of wondering who's scripted. Because like, we talked about this recently. There was an issue where he went shopping at the grocery store. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we need some money. He's like, oh, well, Wong usually takes care of my money problems, but um, I'll figure it out. I'll get back to you. And they then they bellyache over the fact that they're going to have to like sell some jewels and like, mm-hmm. you know, pawn some pawn some valuables in order to mm-hmm. get some cash. Mm-hmm. And here it's just like, oh, yeah, money. Sure. Let's just make some. And also never mention money to me again. Yeah. So, A, I hate the way he's talking to Wong like he's just some superior being or something. And B... 
yes, it makes a lot of sense that he could just conjure up money because he's a sorcerer supreme. But I do wonder if ethically that's cool and why he's fine with it. But I don't know if I care. I can't decide. It just seems too easy. You know what it is? For one thing. Hmm. It's Denny O'Neill versus Stanley. Ah. Stanley wrote this one. And Stanley wrote the okay. older story that I mentioned, uh, how he had previously shunned the idea of money. Mm-hmm. Denny O'Neill wrote the one where and Denny O'Neill was the one who sort of juxtaposed the weirdness of Doctor Strange with the normal weirdness of New mm-hmm. York. Uh Stanley does yeah. not do that. I mean, I don't know that I want Doctor Strange to have Peter Parker problems all the time, but I did right. like that development and I thought it might be fun to see if they tie it up and solve it, but instead they're just like, nah, never mind, it's not a problem. Never mind. We never were just mind. kidding. It's fine. It's fine. I'm never going to have money problems. And by the way, if Peter ever wants to visit, I can make his money problems go away too. Right. Oh, we're using our made-up names. <laughs> Sorry. So I wasn't impressed with the new content, and I was kind of glazing over on the old content because we literally just had a summarization, so I didn't really even need that. Um, I guess it's cool so that I, we're going to get Clea again. Bringing her back more is, than is good. She's you know, another character besides Doctor Strange. But so right now she's just bait. So is that all we're going to get? Oh, that's true. Damsel in distress. That's not the best trope, is it? I don't know. Doesn't she have magic powers also or no? I know she does later, but I feel like it might be because she trains. Okay. Yeah, he like takes her under his wing and starts teaching her stuff, right? Something. But uh, I'm ready to avenge if you are. Okay, yeah. That was kind of a, of a story. So, what do we got here? Oh, yeah. Speaking of, Avengers number 34, the last of our month. The Living Laser, introducing one of the most deadly super foes in the annals of Marveldom. Now, I don't promote excessive drinking people, but if you want to play a fun drinking game I thought of while I was reading this, just take a shot every time the word laser is on the page <laughs> and you'll be dead by page five. Okay. Okay, just, just in that note, uh-huh. the word laser has only existed since 1960. Okay, so well, like, they're really excited about it. The number of times they say it in this issue might be <laughs> equal to the number of times it had been said by anyone before this. And by the way, if you uh, say it sounding like Dr. Evil and use air quotes, it's much, it's even cooler. Lasers. Lasers. Yeah. I just sharks with freaking laser beams. All right. The Living Laser, shot number two. See the man in the strange costume. He is a bad man. He is robbing a bank. He is called the Laser Drink. Can you tell why he's called the Laser Drink? Let us read the story and see what happens to the wicked Laser Drink. Spellbinding story. I'm already on my limit, dude. <laughs> I know. I'm already unconscious. <laughs> Spellbinding story. Smiley Stanley. Awe-inspiring artwork. Dashing Donnie Heck. Lots of little lettering. Adorable RDC mech. Special note from your red face bulletin. Last issue, we announced a dramatic change in Goliath this much, month. But actually, this yarn serves to thrillingly set the stage for his big change next issue. Forgive us, frantic one. Shameface Stan. I actually don't remember them promising that, but I'm sure they must have, right? I think it was just in the next issue box. Okay, so the living laser uh, robs a bank, and while he's in there, he sets off every alarm in the place, and so the place is surrounded by cops. They're like, come out with your hands up. He never comes out, so they kick the door in and go inside, only to find that he had created a hole in the ceiling and had escaped. And he's on the roof now going, I am so amazing. I didn't even need any of this stuff I stole. Here, take it back. And he throws it to the people and disappears. Meanwhile, we cut to the Avengers, who have just finished uh, 
ruining the Sons of the Serpents good time. And they're all patting each other on the back and talking about what they're going to do with their time off. But before that can happen, they get a priority A message from the unknown. And it's like a bank robbery. What? And everybody's kind of like, we're the Avengers. It's a bank robbery. But hey, it's a priority A. Let's get over there. So they go over there and they see all the laser holes and stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, this seems like maybe right up our alley. I don't know. While they're there, though, Wasp in normal size uh, um, runs into one of her old pals, Lucy Barton. No relation to Hawkeye, whose name we don't know. Um, maybe relation, actually. Why am I assuming that? I have no idea. But anyway, <laughs> they're like, oh, my God, it's been so long. Oh, my God, yes, it has. Um, and then as they're talking about Lucy Barton's new engagement and how excited she is, she catches a glimpse, glimpse of her old ex, Mar- Arthur Parks, who's who's amongst the crowd that's like, you know, um, standing around gawking at the Avengers and the police and stuff. And she's like, oh, my God, I totally dumped that guy. And like he has been really weird and uh, kind of stocky and intense. And uh, oh, my God. And look at how he's looking at you, Jan. And she's like, um, I think, yeah, maybe that's coincidence. I don't know. And she leaves. But it's not a coincidence because we get into, into uh, Arthur Park's thought bubble. And he's decided, Linda, who's Linda? I don't even know Linda. It's all about wasp for me now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he goes home and talks more about how it's all about wasp for him now. He never believed in love at first sight, but he loves her. He loves her so much that he's going to kill Goliath, and then she'll love him. And guess what? That's right. Arthur Parks is the living laser. So, let's see what happens. The Avengers go home. They're training. Um, Cap and Hawkeye are in full bromance mode. Goliath goes with Wasp back to that lab house they have in the woods that we still can't decide if that's part. It's It can't be. It's not part of the Avengers Mansion because he flew there in their new ship, which, by the way, they have a new ship. And it's called the uh, – I don't know. We'll get to that later. Anyway, it's not a Quinjet, <laughs> but it's something. Anyway, they go into the lab, and guess who's there? It's um, Bill Foster. He's back. He's like, I'm sorry I doubted you. I understand now that you were just trying to trick me. It's cool. Let's work on res- your resizing problem. So while they're doing that, the laser followed them to the lab, and he shot a laser hole into the ceiling, and he's been spying. And at some point, Wasp decides to leave because she's bored of two dudes talking about science, and she wants to go get her hair done or something. So she leaves, and as soon as she leaves, he attacks, um, and he starts shooting his laser and Goliath is like using lab equipment to block it. And he's throwing lab equipment, but the living laser can shoot the lab equipment. So Goliath punches through a wall and he runs and kind of disappears into the, or he throws a bunch of dirt at the living laser because he's giant. So he can palm a lot of dirt and he throws it. And as the living laser is wiping his lenses clean, uh, Goliath disappears. So he's looking around for him. Goliath, Goliath, where'd you go, Goliath? But Goliath is up in a tree, and he reaches down with his giant mitts, and he picks the dude up and smacks him onto the floor. So Living Laser is unconscious. Bill Foster is like, hey, good job. The Avengers show up and go, hey, we were just going to tell you that the bank thinks that like lasers had something to do with this, but it looks like you just found the culprit. And they're like, yeah, high five. So Cap and Hawkeye take over, and they're going to take him back to prison, or take him to prison, and they have him tied up. But no one thought to, like, you know, take his lasers off his arm, because he wakes up, and he shoots a laser into their new ship. So, by the way, RIP new ship, 
because it crashes. Oh, yeah, and the living laser can fly. And they didn't think about that either. They didn't know he could fly. He can shoot his laser towards the floor, and he flies. So he flew away through the hole that he made. And Hawkeye and Cap crash. Uh, Hawkeye saves them because Cap tells Hawkeye how to use his arrows again. Um, Libby Laser goes home, augments his lasers on his laser augmenting machine, flies around and destroys things that were scheduled to be destroyed anyway. Put a pin in that because I do not understand the point of that, but whatever. <laughs> um, Cap and Hawkeye are flying around in cool sky cycles, all of Fantastic Four, when they see uh, the, a laser that causes traffic. And I think Wasp is with them, and she spots what window the laser came out of. So they go and assault that window. Um, Captain America blocks the laser with his shield, but then more lasers come down from the ceiling and create like a laser prison between around Cap and Hawkeye. And he talks about how he's going to destroy them all. The Wasp is there, though, unbeknownst to him, the living laser, and she tries to like turn off the laser cage but while she's trying to do that the living laser notices her and sucks her into like this air vacuum and the air vacuum has gas so it knocks her out um and then he's like well now that i have the wasp i don't need either of you anymore so i'm going to press this button and this laser jail is just going to get closer and closer until you all get sliced like swiss cheese or cheese i guess next issue victory so we're going to call him the living incel (laughs) okay because he is a terrible, <sighs> terrible person. I can't believe there's two issues of the living laser fighting Avengers. Like, one of these guys should be able to stop him, not the whole team. Yeah. Well, and later he becomes like an actual living. Here's the thing. The living laser, he's not a living laser. Like, the whole name is a misnomer. Mm-hmm. He is a dude who has lasers. Great. Good mm-hmm. job. Um, yeah. Later he becomes an actual energy-based uh, villain. Or maybe yeah. that's just in the cartoon. I don't know. But um, but yeah, he this reminds is just. Of, he reminds me of the unicorn, only he shoots out of his wrist instead of his forehead. It's like literally the only difference. Same colors and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Well, not bad, yeah, but weird. Yeah. That's so similar. It really is. Just changes color. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I saw him on the cover um, and I thought, I saw him on the cover and thought, you know, he's maybe a good villain for one of these people or Iron Man or something. But like, oh, my gosh, he's going to fight all the Avengers. That's silly. But no, he's going to fight all the Avengers for two issues. Yeah, he is. So a couple of thoughts. Goliath is no longer being so mopey about being a 10 foot tall freak. It's still a problem he needs to address, Mm -hmm. but he's not being overly sad about it. Mm hmm. Um, and it seems that having all the old timers around rubbed off on them because now they're back to having chairman. Yeah, that's true. What's pro tem mean? Temporary? I don't, yeah, for now. Acting chairman for now. So if he's acting chairman for now, who's he acting in place of? I don't know. That's, it's weird. It is weird. The not Quinjet was called an arrow car. There we go. And it, I, Ultimately, doesn't matter because it does die this issue. But it was designed by Tony Stark, so that's cool. That is cool. It's a prototype for uh, the Quinjet, I guess. Yeah, because the the word Quinjet's still a ways away. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have they they do have some cool you know air vehicles before that. If that were called a Quinjet, I would not be surprised. Like it's it's that level of flight craft. It's not, it's not just you know a helicopter a- with an A on the front <laughs> or an X painted on the nose. Yeah, right, right, right. We get some, um, we get some sort of, I don't know, backstory is not the right word, but like development for Jan as a person and a character. Mm-hmm. She was high society back well, in we the knew day. That. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess we just never really saw it. Like the idea that she was raised to be a wealthy man's wife. Like that's the life she thought she had in front of her. Yeah. I guess um, in 1966, coming out party doesn't mean the same thing it does now. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, but I just think that might explain some of her more like ostentatiously romantic proclivities when she was younger, mm-hmm. like exclaiming mm-hmm. over men's handsomeness because that's the culture she was brought up with as normal. And if she had mm-hmm. been sitting at a table with other young debutantes and Thor walked by, she probably would have made the exact same comments to them and they would have responded. Mm-hmm. So I guess it kind of sets all of that to context I like. And she likes shopping and she likes doing girly things and all mm-hmm. that stuff too. Not that you need a reason to like any of that, but it it does gel with her backstory. Yeah. And I like this, this lady dude, that she met, but of course we'll never see her again, I'm sure. No, she's just there to segue us over to Arthur. <sighs> Arthur Parks. Parks. He this Okay. See, the thing is, this guy never learned how to handle a hormone. I guess. At some point, you need to realize that your attractions to people are chemical reactions in your head. And they mm-hmm. don't really mean as much as you think that they mean when you're feeling them. Mm-hmm. And this guy never learned that and never learned how to process and handle that. Well, he also read that, so the girl doesn't like you, how to pick up women by Dr. Lord Krang or something, because uh, <laughs> it's the same, it's the same strategies. Like I'm going to kill the guy she loves now and then she'll like me. It's like, why is that a to B there? You know, that doesn't make sense. If Until anything, Warlord she's going to know. starts writing self-help books. Yeah. It's weird. I didn't mean to cut you off. We're having a little bit of audio but I don't troubles, know, but that's like, okay. This we'll is not the going. first character to have these this strategy, you know? I want to show him what I really am. If I can beat her man, then she'll love me. Exactly. Because that's how women um, are. Whoever's the strongest, they- that's who they want. <laughs> I was kind of impressed with Catch America doing all those acrobatics with his shield on his arm. Mm-hmm. One-handed. I figured it could, probably wasn't that easy. Yeah. I like the dialogue between Hawkeye and Cap because it's still kind of new that they're friendly, but they were jabbing at mm-hmm. each other, so that was kind of cool. It's just more more uh, friendly jabs now. And I think, like, in the future, I have read, like, Hawkeye crediting Cap for helping train him, and I've always thought, like, when did that happen? But I guess here's an instance of that happening at least once. Mm-hmm. And, like, even just for this one page, we can extrapolate that it happens more in other issues. Yeah. Okay, so I'm glad here's... Bill Foster got over himself. Oh, what? Well, I, I don't actually like the Bill Foster scene that much. Um, oh, no? Because I feel like Hank owes Bill an apology. Yeah, because it was a kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's like, because last issue, it was like, you know, I got beat up. These guys are racist. They hate me. They hate my people. And you're not, you're refusing to come out against them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Hank, you know, who refused to explain before, could be like, hey, yeah, I'm really sorry. I couldn't let you in on all of that. Yeah, he deserves. Bill deserves better. I know. I guess I'm just glad that it wasn't like four issues of them him hating him. You know, that's just going to take forever to get over. But yeah, and I yeah, like. True. I kind of like that they're like these besties now, <laughs> like this lab married couple or something. <laughs> it's fun. It, it 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 should last longer than it does, but it is fun. Yeah. Um, Jan basically walks out of the book on page nine. Yep. I, I was like, wow, giant – okay, Goliath beat up the living laser. That's about how I thought it would go. And then I was like, oh, no, we're only on page uh, 13, though. So that's right. that's not going to happen, huh? And then Bonehead, Hawkeye, and Cap let him escape. 
Yes, they do let him escape, and that's not. I mean, they're they're better than that, so that shouldn't have yeah. happened. But yeah, um, do you think it caused the Avengers problems when Tony Stark's assets were frozen for five minutes a few issues back? Because there's that bit on page fifteen about how they have to like. Uh, wonderful Tony Stark has those planes of his covered by enough insurance. We'd uh-huh. sure be up the creek if he ever lost that bankroll of his. I think we we theorized on that then, but like. You would think his the Avengers payroll is coming from some sort of corporation that you can't that oh, can't be yeah. affected by Tony as an individual person being attacked. A lot of people right. do that, you know. You can't get sued as a corporate. Well, you can, but you keep it separate, I guess. Corporation so and your personal problems. Tony's assets were frozen, but Stark Enterprises mm-hmm. kept on going without him. He was actually banned from the company. The Maria Stark Foundation or whatever payrolls. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so that, that, that makes sense. I forgot we had that conversation. But it would have been neat if Avengers talked about Tony's problems, like saw it on the news or something. They do briefly mention that he went off to Washington and he yeah. he gave Cap a special formula to coat his shield with. <gasps> oh yeah, for the I laser that in the summary. So yeah, we still haven't established that Cap's shield is indestructible. So he actually thinks that the living laser's shield or living laser's laser would penetrate it, or the writers think that in 1966. Mm-hmm. I doubt they think that now. But uh, So they make a point of him saying that like Tony Stark gave him some special fancy coating that would only work for like three minutes. Right. It won't resist the laser for long, but it will briefly. But yeah, and so after Wasp leaves the book on page nine, she comes back on page 20. This is the second time in as many issues that they've pulled the whole partner out of nowhere technique in their storytelling and it's really weird she was on page 18 because she's the one who found where he was it's super tiny art but i've located the exact window the beam was shooting out of hawkeye that's wasp oh oh that's right there she is okay since she's tiny like you just don't notice her when you're skimming the wasp was right he just ducked into the basement okay so she did go find him Mm -hmm. that's good Mm -hmm. so that's what she was doing okay that at least adds some narrative reason for her to be here. Okay, good. I okay, like that but more. do we want to bother bringing up the worst panel in the world, though, or are we just bored of talking about this? <laughs> Which one? If only I understood these things like a man. Last page, third panel. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So that sucks. But, you know, we've already treaded this before. <laughs> There's nothing we could do to fix it. But No. Yeah. If Hawkeye could just hold his attention a little longer, I'll bet Goliath would have had this all figured out by now. That's fine. Because Goliath has more uh, experience with science than she has. But then there's that, if only I understood these things like a man. Thought bubble. If only I understood these things like Goliath, that would be fine. But it's a man. So all men are blanket better at figuring out how to turn off laser prisons than Wasp is. Yeah. No, that's gross. No. If anything, she would probably be smarter about turning it off than me because she at least hangs out in labs all the time. Right? So the living laser is super duper group, super duper gross. And a wasp is not the best in this issue the way she's written. And like all he wanted, he he doesn't even want money because he already has money, I guess. All he wanted to do was show off how cool he is, which is something that seems like villains do in the 60s a lot. Show off how cool he was and capture Jan. Uh, that that happened, yeah. Initially, it was just to show off how cool he was. And then he saw Jan, her Dreamweaver, and it was all over. 
But that ends our month on a creepy note. That does end our month on a creepy note. So that's, uh, was that September? Yeah. September 66 is behind us now. Okay. Here we are. Okay. So here's the rundown. Ready? Mm-hmm. Tales to Astonish 86. Um, I don't have actual covers in front of me. Well, um, that's, me um, that's where Krang uh, causes a bunch of uh, tidal waves to hit New York. That's right. And Hulk goes up against the uh, pink guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then Thor 134, that's where we have the High Evolutionary. Mm-hmm. And Part Thor one. finally finds Jane again. Yep. X-Men 26, where El Tigre is now Kukul Khan. Yep. Um, Daredevil 22, where he's up against the Tri-Man working for Mass Marauder and what's his brains? Oh, um, uh-huh. Uh, Gladiator. Gladiator. And mm-hmm. uh, that's the one that, yeah. So Sergeant Fury 36, which was the, the one where the... The ex-Nazi guy has to prove himself. Yeah, the first or, trip for Eric Koenig. Yeah, yeah. Tales of Suspense 84, where Tony Stark um, passes out at the hearing, and so Happy Hogan becomes the other Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And then Captain America goes up against the super adaptoid. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 43, Mary Jane versus the Rhino. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Fantastic 457, enter Dr. Doom with the cosmic power. Mm. And then we're into pre- uh, present day waters. Strange Shells 151 and the Avengers 34. Mm-hmm. I've I, got my worst easily me, picked out. And I think I've got my best too. So the best is X-Men 26. <laughs> Bite your tongue right off. Oh no, my God. That is the worst. Are you, is that what you're saying for worst? Oh yeah. Okay. Like, they spend half of it just fighting the jungle, and then they uh-huh. finally get to El Tigre, and they beat him because randomly he all his power sources on some tower that he created with his power source. It's like get out of here! I don't even like this. You have a best? My best. I'm kind of waffling between Spider Man, which is way more about Mary Jane than anything, and maybe Fantastic Four because that was pretty fun too. Yeah, Fantastic Four was solid. Comics. I'm trying to remember what happened outside of the Doctor. Doom um, tricking Silver Surfer bits, though. Like, they went to the prison, and they... Oh, Sandman attacked them. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm going to say Spider-Man. I'm going to give it to Spider-Man, because that Mary Jane stuff was real fun. I don't know. I don't really care that much about the, the Rhino part, too, but I liked her full-on appearance versus just the one panel from last issue. I'm also going with Spider-Man for my best. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, there's Mary Jane... Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, the fight with the rhino was pretty solid. Bringing in Dr. Connors um, to, to find the cure for that and set up the lizard next issue. All of that was good, 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 good. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic Four could have easily taken it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Also, I really enjoyed Thor this issue. Um, those were like all the all the top ones for me. Thor was pretty good. Even Tri-Man was okay outside of how they created Tri-Man. But yeah. <laughs> it had some good moments. So my least favorite, I'm going to choose Doctor Strange. Oh, really? Okay. Because it was just another clip show. It might as well have not existed. That is a good point. But it didn't infuriate me as much as X-Men. 
I just keep picking X-Men, don't I? Is that like the last 20 times? I don't know. Um, I've been doing nothing but X-Men and Doctor Strange, my bottom list, for a long time. Yeah. And I feel bad, but right now that's where it is. At least Doctor Strange is short. How's that going for it? I will not be putting next X-Men in my bottom. Spoilers. I enjoyed the X-Men 27. Okay. So. All right. So yeah, those are our best and worst, or or most and least liked, as is my preferred way to say it. Yes. For September. Yes. Cool. Another month down. Another month down. Only three more to go this year. Now we're in October for October. Okay. So funny story. Um, October f- normally Marvel's comics are spread out over two release weeks, and it's the first two weeks of the month. For whatever reason, that's their schedule. And for whatever reason, this particular month of October, Thor was the only superhero book that was shipped on October 4th. Mm -hmm. All of the other Marvel Universe titles were shipped on October 11th. Now, some of their other books were shipped on October 4th, but we don't care about those. Just Thor. So we're going to do Thor, and then we're going to do uh, Sergeant Fury because it's the earliest continuity-wise of the October 11th books. And we never end the show with Charge and Fury. It's like got to be the first time. And I just feel hosed by this whole release schedule of October 1966 because <laughs> I now have to cover Sergeant Fury. And not only do I have to cover him, I have to cover him at the end of an episode. So my brain is already pudding, and now I'm going to have to remember how this plot goes. But we'll see how I do. Thor 135, the maddening menace of the Super Beast. They yep. don't call him the Man Beast in this. No. That's what I think of him as. Well, he's awfully super. In the hidden kingdom of Vundagor, mighty Thor has found his beloved Jane Foster serving as a teacher. But never before has mortal woman taught such a class, a class composed of animals, whose evolution has been speeded up, sped up, by the mysterious High Evolutionary. And now, due to a disastrous accident, one such beast has become virtually all-powerful. He's all-wolf, all-man, and all-evil. A Stanley Jack Kirby feature fantasy. Delineation by Vince Coletta. Lettering by Artie Simic. Let's go. So the man-beast comes out of the glowing glow that he's in on the first page. And he just attacks Thor with no reserve whatsoever. High Evolutionary comes in with a big old subsonic Discordian gun. Shoots it at the wolf. Because such sounds which are scaled to bring instant death to any wolf. And the man-beast feels it, feels the pain, but he's um, not dying. And uh, he's going to swear out revenge on all of mankind for this affront. Um, And he runs away. And Thor goes after and Thor hurls his hammer at him. But um, the man-beast has a field of basic mental repulsion. So basically, he can just make a force field around himself and Thor's hammer can't beat it. So the man-beast goes to the hatch and leaves the uh the 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 fortress so you can leave wondergore and take over the world um there's a huge explosion and the high evolution is like oh i am to blame and i alone because i created this man beast and now he's free meanwhile in the celestial realm of asgard the monarch of all he surveys witnesses a sporting joust with less than feverish enthusiasm. Balder the Brave knocks the Tukas off of some other random Asgardian, and he wins, and Odin's like, oh, yeah, okay, good job, Balder, you're, you're pretty awesome. Um, but I have this 
this feeling that, that bad stuff is happening to my son. Meanwhile, back at the Wundagor Mountain, the Knights of Wundagor are flying around trying to find the man beast. Um, but he, uh, the man beast is going after some rays that are deadly and can, can damage the world and, um, high evolutionary. Let's see. Um, he takes an induction device and clamps it to the wall and says it's going to bring man beast out in the open somehow, some way. The man beast put up a barrier. So they're trying to break through it. Okay. And meanwhile, the man beast is creating new men beasts. I see. So that's where, that's where all those are. I gotcha. So. Jane Foster, like, bails. She leaves so that <laughs> Thor can use his hammer. Um, and all these new other evil beasts attack the High Evolutionary. And uh, Thor goes to town with his hammer. Um, Tagar and Porja are in the other room talking about how they look human, even though the other new men don't. Actually, that's not what they're talking about. But they're talking about how, you know, they've got to help. They can't let the man beast destroy everything they've worked for to build in Wundagore. Tagar puts on his Nintendo Power Glove. <laughs> And goes after them, and uh, they leap into battle, and so it's new man versus new man with Thor and the man beast in the middle of the fray. And um, man beast, your hammer will never strike me. I'm about to disintegrate it with one simple elementary mind blast. And Thor's like, "Yeah, but I've got the powers of eternity. You're just a mortal. I'm the son of Odin. Punch, punch, punch!" And he eventually punches the man beast all the way down to the ground. Um, the other new men uh, lose their fight as well. And High Evolutionary puts all of them in a box and shoots them into space where they'll never harm anyone on this earth again. High Evolutionary takes off his pink helmet. He's like, hey. Thor's like, whoa. He's like, yeah, I'm just a dude. And here's my origin story. <laughs> I was a geneticist. All about some eugenics, yo. Improving humanity, making us better. And, uh, you know, my, my ideas were, were considered too, too radical. So I started trying them on animals. I got my pet Dalmatian to turn into a, a human Dalmatian. And I decided to combine a elephant with a pot-bellied pig. So it'd be, you know, fun like an elephant, but tiny and cute like a pot-bellied pig. And sorry, that's a South Park reference. Anyways, uh, so he, Talks about how he, he made Wundagore for all of his new men to live. And then he's like, yeah, but all my new men, they're being born and they're growing up, but they, they don't have any understanding of the world. They, they were just animals. We got to have somebody to teach them. So Tagar Porja got into the world and find our new men a teacher. And, and, and you know the rest. We found Jane and she was going to be our teacher. But now, now everything's bad. Everything's ruined. And, and I've got to do the rest of this alone. So get out of here. Opening the door. Y'all leave, and Thor and Jane leave, and Wundagore Mountain sheds its mountain and blasts off because it's all really a rocket ship. It goes into space. Next issue, Jane becomes an immortal. Yeah, so that happened. Yeah. So... I uh, don't know. The bad guys get launched into space, and the good guys go into space, and this whole thing just went into space. I think I'm just not super, haha, punny, super into Super Beast. Mm -hmm. I think he doesn't look particularly interesting. He doesn't look like a wolf. He doesn't look like a, he doesn't look cool, and he doesn't look like a wolf, and not to like hold 
fictional comic book science from the sixties too high of a into too high of a standard, but like, huh? Like, okay, he's what a wolf and a human who had a baby a million years from now. What the baby would be like? Like, what? That, that first of all, that, that never happens. Wolves and humans having babies, and two, like. A million years from now, are baby human wolves born with the ability to do judo and speak English and and create science things? And yeah, for for a weird. race of people who are born without any education, he seemed pretty um, yeah. adept and knowledgeable. Yeah, he knew how to do everything. Except um, I like this because it sets up the man beast to be a cool player later, mm. but it's not a great intro for the character. No. Um, his whole being the embodiment of evil does stick around. That kind of is his, his shtick later as well. And then I was, as I was reading the issue, I was getting more and more annoyed that like, we're just supposed to take for granted the high evolutionary and all his cronies and these two guys, especially this page 10, where he starts talking about how he's a new man and putting on a, the gloves. And I'm like, they're not explaining any of this. I hate this, but then they did explain it. So that appeased me a little bit. Yeah. But they just did it out of order because normally they do the Charles Xavier. Oh, we're in danger. Let's talk about our origin. Right, they actually, that has they been actually a, waited. A very common move of late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got the origin. I don't know that I love it. It seems kind of a slap together, and they never explain at all how he got such a badass uh, pink super night outfit or anything. But that's okay. I guess he just wanted one. It's a very cool look. The High Evolutionary's design is highly memorable. Mm-hmm. Much more memorable than his actual backstory. More memorable than Super Beast, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But when the High Evolutionary shows up, I'm usually like, ooh. And I haven't read enough High Evolutionary stories to know how much that's merited. Maybe he always shows up and turns into something boring. Mm-hmm. But whenever I see his face, I'm usually like, ooh, High Evolutionary. He also has a really cool name. And he didn't turn out to really be the bad guy. He turned out to just be the guy who abused science and it went wrong. Mm-hmm. And now and now he's punishing himself in exile. So I kind of like that. That was different than him just being a two or you know two dimensional bad one dimensional bad guy. Um, and I also like that he ships those creations of the super beast off to another planet, um, City Alpha Five or whatever, because they weren't bad either. They couldn't help being created. You know, mm-hmm. that was cool instead of just having them destroyed or whatever. Um, so those two elements I liked in the story. And, of course, Thor just being like, well, you might be a million years more advanced than humans, but I'm an Asgardian god. And then just beating him to death. That was nice. That was fun. That's a good move for Thor. Mm-hmm. It's always satisfying. But otherwise, I don't know, like the man beast or the man beast, the super beast just like looked weird. Not Not one of Kirby's best designed jobs i guess it's a super generic looking face his Very. big ears are the only thing about him that looks anything interesting because it's weird it's like the, the high evolutionary is the most interesting looking character in these stories but he's not the antagonist right but that's okay um so thor and jane are back together finally mm-hmm. after you know 84 years mm-hmm. and next issue says jane becomes an immortal which i assume means that some immortal spider bites her no, it like, probably means Odin turns her immortal so they can get married. That's, yeah, that's that's what it means. That's my guess. Just like Superman 2, only backwards. Right. Which means that Odin's going to have to kiss her. To make All her the forget. red out here while you were safe in there. Mm. Mm. Okay. Shall we go into the fiery breath of the Fafnir? Fiery breath of Fafnir. 
Yes. He needs, eat, he needs to brush his teeth after he eats all that garlic. Except he never shoots fire from his breath. Oh, yes, oh. he does. I lied. Page four. Never mind. Okay. Okay. He does have fiery breath. Well, um, last issue, Volstag was supposed to stand guard, but he wandered off into a cave uh, looking for a king of Nordstrand, Nastrond, and the Nastrond king turned out to be a large green dragon. <laughs> Um, and so Thor and Falstaff, I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. We're calling him the wrong thing for a while, and I felt bad. Calling who the wrong thing? Falstaff? I don't know. There was an email or comment that's like, don't call him this other thing. I'm pretty sure Falstaff's right. Anyways, um, and Hogan, they're all like, okay, let's go find, um, Volstag before, you know, he, he dies. Probably mm-hmm. produced by Stanley and Jack Kirby, delineation Jens Coletta, and lettering Sam Rosen. Prepare for a spectacle beyond mortal words. They fight Fafnir. Fafnir blows fire at them. They fight Fafnir some more. And it was like, oh, look, they're fighting Fafnir. And um, only with the defeat of Fafnir can the domain of Nastrond live again. So must it be, and that which must be ever shall be, for such is the wonder, such is the way. Verily I have spoken. Continue next issue. When thy da- dazzled eyes shall truly behold the miracle pods. Literally, they just fight Fafnir. That's the end. Mm-hmm. Cool fight. It's a pretty fight. And they don't win because he's holding Volstag hostage, I guess. Right. Fandral. That's his name. Fandral the Delicious or something like that. The Gorgeous. Not Falstaff because Falstaff is the, Fandral the dashing. actor that they're modeled after. It's Fandral the Dashing. Fandral the Delicious, Fandral the Blonde Mustachioed. Falstag is not anything, though. Aw. So Hogan and Fandral are thus, and Volstag is not. That's sad. Volstag's the Lion of our Asgard. But he's not Volstag the Lion. He's just Volstag. Oh, yeah. He's like, like Volstag the adjective. You're right. Like Hogan gets grim and Fandral gets dashing. There was also, did you know there's another? I'm only, I only know this because I'm looking. There's another Warriors 3 at some point who is a Valkyrie. Hildegard really? in Thor number 195. I guess someone gets replaced. I did not know that. I didn't either. I'm looking it up right now real fast because I want to see what she looks like. Oh, yeah. She looks like a uh, Valkyrie. Anyway, digression. Cool story, I guess. Um, Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we are getting near the end of this run. After this issue, only 10 Tales of Asgard remain. Well, this storyline, we're only on part two, so maybe I'm... Maybe I'm jinxing us, but it's so far more linear and straightforward and and seems to have more purpose than that last one we did that went on forever. Yeah, I don't know about purpose, but if it's at least just like an adventure that Odin's having, not Odin, but Thor is having in, you know, <sighs> Tales of Asgard, I feel like now that we've gotten past all of the origin and mythology stuff, it should be a place where Thor gets to have adventures that are completely separate from his Earth life. Yeah. And as long as they're fun adventures doing Asgardian things, I'm cool with that. He's yeah. going to go fight a dragon? Cool. I'm down. I, I just meant purpose like he's supposed to be here looking to see if that king is actually dead and the king is not dead. So now he has to kill the king versus, hey, go figure out why this sword is cracked. Psych. It's not. Seven right. stories later. I was just messing with you guys. This is going nowhere. Meander, meander. Three episodes about death. There's the Ragnarok tread. Yeah. Prophecy and that's Hela it. Hela is leading Valkyries and our man in Asgard hates that. So shall we see what Gene Gene the podcasting machine has to Speaking say? Speaking of, yes. 
our Asgardian advisor writes in to say, not much to say here since it's one big fight issue. <laughs> I did have a dog hearing a weird noise headcock moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Odin, looking through his cosmic voyeuroscope, copyright Tom Harris, says, <laughs> the flesh of my flesh shall face it as one of to the manner born. That don't make no sense. And I think it was a mistake by either Stan in writing or Sam in lettering. The actual phrase is, to the manner born, M-A-N-O-R, as in born to the manor, the mansion, the wealth, meaning the child uh, of nobility. Uh, so, um, these one of those word. things where somebody didn't understand the actual saying mm-hmm. and had internalized it wrong. Or just, you know, there, 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 two, two, just messed it right. up. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he doesn't have a Because if you just listen to what Odin's saying, it's perfect. Right. It makes, it makes sense audially. I have no idea what the miracle pods are. I'm mildly curious. I like the view screen. It's like tech. I like that when Asgard is really just like advanced tech, but it looks like magic, but it's not. It's just a TV with electricity yeah. and Wi-Fi and stuff. And, 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 a, and a giant screen, like, on elaborate metal frames, just feels like it fits the aesthetic mm-hmm. of Asgard. He's not looking through a cauldron that's misty and showing him television. He's looking at right. an actual television. All right. So that's Thor. Can we go <laughs> oh, back no. in time? No. Let's keep talking about Thor. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I haven't done a Sergeant Fury in a very long time, which is weird because I used to have to do all of them for some reason. All right. Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, number 37, in the desert to die. So we are now on our second week in October already, kids. That's fast. Um, Nick Fury and his fighting fanatics are getting ready to bail out over North Africa. Why? Stick around, soldier. Editor, Smiling Stan Lee. Scripter, Rascally Roy Thomas. Artist, Darlin DeGayers. Inker, Jivey John Tartaglioni. Letterer, Sandy Sammy Rosen. Technical advisor in charge of parachuting, jovial Johnny Hayes, ex-paratrooper, Marvel's swinging circulation manager. If that's true, that's awesome. And it kind of has to be true, right? That's weird. Okay. So, yeah, they're all going to jump out of a plane, and they all jump out of a plane, and we actually get, like, an individual panel on all their names and stuff, which is always nice when they do that, just to remind us. Uh, But then, of course, once they land, they want to know what their mission is because it's always like Nick is the only one who knows. So he tells them that the allies have been ravaged by raiders, desert raiders, and they're being led by a man named Desert Hawk. Um, And so the Howlers are like, well, we know why we're here. We got to kill Desert Hawk. And as they're talking about that, Desert Hawk and the raiders seemingly attack. And Izzy's just about to blow him away with a machine gun when Nick's like, you didn't let me finish. We're not here to kill them. We're here to convince them to lay off the allies and help us fight the Nazis. So you can't shoot them. We got to talk. But they don't really talk because the Raiders just full on attack them. So they, instead of shooting, use fisticuffs. Um, At some point, Dum Dum gets hit in the back and they grab him. And Reb's like, well, if they're going to grab one of our guys, I'm going to grab one of their guys. And he manages to get the leader with a lasso around the horse's hooves. They unmask the leader. <gasps> it's not the Desert Hawk. It's some blonde lady with an English accent. So she tells her story. She is the half English, half, I don't know what, nomadic tribes person of, of uh, uh, she's Desert Hawk's daughter, basically. Her name is Sheila. And at some point, Desert Hawk and his people were approached by a dude named Colonel Frick who is a Nazi, obviously. Colonel Frick tricked them into thinking the Allies 
were somehow responsible for Sheila's mother's death. So Sheila's father, the Desert Hawk, has been attacking the Allies. But at some point, apparently, he figured out that they were bad guys. And so this is really complicated for one page. So Colonel Frick uh, imprisoned Desert Hawk and told his daughter, if you ever want to see your father alive again, you'll continue the raids and told the rest of the raiding party that like – the Desert Hawk was killed by the Allies, so they're all willing to follow her. And ugh. So after Nick Fury gets a slap in the face for like insinuating that she would rather save her father over a whole war, um, he tells Reb to hold on to her. We got to go get Dum Dum. So they do that, and they sneak into the village. Or you know, Dum Dum's doing his thing where he like resists. He's resisting arrest and stuff, but they like ultimately beat him up. Um, the Howler or. Uh, Colonel Frick has this one tent where he doesn't let any of the uh, rebels who still think he's telling the truth like visit. And inside that tent is a basement, access to a basement. And down in the basement is the Desert Hawk. And he goes down there and he says, listen, the Allies have now captured your daughter. So you really should resume your role as a Desert Hawk and attack Allies for me. And he's like, no, I'm on to you. And I'm, I'd rather sacrifice my daughter than, you know, listen to you because you're so evil and I've got my principles. He's like, fine, you get to stay down there and rot then. Uh, meanwhile, the Howlers, one by one, take out the guards and invade the – invade the – I don't – I'm not going to say city. It's invade the tents, the camp. Invade the camp. Um, and as they do that, Frick has been giving a speech to the rebels, more lies. So Nick pops out and says, nah, we're good guys. Actually, he's the bad guy. And because Colonel Frick has read Odin's book on how to tell – when someone's telling the truth, he proposes, I know what we should do. We should face off with each other. You and me, whoever kills the other one, is obviously telling the truth. And all the rebels are like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, meanwhile, Reb, I don't know, I guess he hears a gunshot at some point. And so he takes Sheila with him to uh, go help, even though he was told not to. Um, he notices that this one tent is – he and Sheila notice this tent is guarded by – a lot of Nazis. So he gets in there and he starts punching. Unfortunately, one of them gets on the radio for a little bit before he can knock him out. Uh, more on that later. But they find the 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 basement where the hole where the the doorway is, and they find that that's where they're keeping Dum Dum too. But Dum Dum has also already <laughs> managed to escape and free the Desert Hawk and knock out all the guards. So it's just like, hey, what took you guys so long? Which is super awesome. So. Then they all go out and watch this duel to the death. So the duel is Frick on one horse and uh, 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 Colonel Ferry on another. And what you're supposed to do if you're in a wizard duel is hold your rifle up and do a first pass as sort of like a gentlemanly, hello, how are you? And then the second pass with the rifles, they only have one bullet each and you're supposed to take your shot. Well, Nick... Uh, uh, goes along with that and he holds up his rifle, but Frick cheats and shoots on the first pass, manages to hit uh, Nick's cigar. Turns out he also has another bullet. He was only supposed to have one, so he's cheating twice now, but Nick still takes him out. The rebels are like, hey, we kind of think this Nazi's the liar, actually. This Nick guy seems to be upstanding. But as they're working that out, tanks show up because that radio guy did get a message out. So two tanks show up. The Howlers take that on. They find a tent full of dynamite, so they kind of lure the, the 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 tanks over to there, and then they rig it to blow up. And then 
the desert hawk's like, thank you for saving me and my people. From now on, we will always we will support the allies full force and eliminate all Nazis from the desert. And also, we're going to give you this Colonel Flick guy to take prisoner. And my daughter's going to kiss you on the cheek. And the howlers are going to laugh at you because Nick turns a shade of pink. And the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's our episode. No. Just kidding. <laughs> you were saying you weren't sure how to um, describe the people. Uh, they say they're in the north part of Africa. So I'm getting Moorish Arabic type vibes. Well, I was, um, I was I was desperately trying to read a caption to see if it actually says, but all it does say is her, her mother was English, and my father yeah, they, they, is Ben Ali Musim. They do avoid identifying the ethnicity or national background of any of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're almost definitely Muslim, but there's a lot of ethnicities and racial variation in the Muslim faith. So mm-hmm. since we're in Northern Africa, I was thinking probably Moorish, possibly Arabic. It doesn't really matter that much. I think Muslim is probably the best word we could say. They're Muslims. Except she's super white, pale, and blonde. So She that's is super white, pale, and blonde, right. That'd be really hard to pull off. But hey, it's possible, I guess. Uh, he should probably be colored more darkly than he is, because he's basically a white dude with a white beard. Mm-hmm. He should probably be colored pretty darkly yeah. um, for a, a, Af- a North African Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was kind of a Reb Ralston issue. Like it, it, it gave him a lot of mm-hmm. uh, spotlight, which you know we've talked in the past about some of the things they could be doing differently with their storytelling choices in this. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe focusing on individual howlers more to give us you know more connection to the individuals of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we've ever ever had a Reb Ralston focused story. He was it his parents that were held hostage in the United States, or was that somebody else's? May have been. I can't remember now. When they went to the yeah, because it was like, like it was like in the South, right? They had to go rescue mm-hmm. in like Kentucky or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so that would have been his but, parents there. But the thing is, like, even like you're saying, like, even if they give him things to do, he's just doing Howler things. I didn't learn anything about Reb really, just because he is awesome and did Howler things. They all are awesome and do Howler things. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, true. Like, there's nothing in these stories that tell me anything about Reb, other than he likes to lasso and he's good with cards. So yeah, I guess they they even if they do spend time with a story, they need to do it in a way that like il- il- illustrates his character a little bit. Like our new guy has had the most just from that last story in a way has had more character than some of our old guys here. Yeah, and I you know somewhat similar as I think we said for Pinky because like at least he's had an issue with like you know backstory. And he did have the opening spotlight issue. It reminds me, have you ever seen that YouTube video where like someone was like, okay, describe without talking about their profession, you know, the character of like Padme Amidala. And people are just like, uh, uh, you know, she's a senator. Oh, I can't say that, you know? Right. And it's like, okay, what, what, tell me about Gabe. Okay. He likes to blow his horn. Uh, sometimes he comments is on racism, I guess. Dum Dum hates his mother-in-law. Dum Dum hates his mother-in-law and is, you know, not happy with his wife. At least those are characteristics of his mm, personality. Like, is he? I have zero things to say about him. He's the guy I can never remember the name of. Reb likes to lasso and he's good at cards and he's Southern. Pinky is British and possibly gay and has a sore throat in this issue for no reason. Yeah, that was that, that was a weird. I was waiting for that to end. pay off and nothing happened. <laughs> nope, nope. Nothing happened at all with that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Oh, I did think it was a more 
a different story than usual because they weren't there just to kill somebody. They were actually there to open negotiations or something. Right. Which was kind of fun. Was it weird that the woman gave the thank you kiss to Nick Fury at the end since Reb was the one who did most of the work in keeping her safe? You would think, although Nick did almost blow up, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. My favorite bit is when they went to go rescue Dum Dum and he was already rescued because he rescued himself. That was freaking fantastic. Yeah, he's just like sitting down there punching people out. Yeah, I love that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. It I was a lot, have a lot to say about this one. It was actually a lot less um, exhausting than a lot of them because a lot of them like, you know, they have to get there, then they have to get back and they have to find the person to help get back and all. And they didn't really do any of that with this one. So it was more mm-hmm. straightforward, which was nice. But anyway, that's how that's what happens when you end an episode on Sergeant Fury, I guess. Yeah. I just paging through to see if there's anything else. Um Colonel Frick's name was weird. Colonel Frick? Yeah, he totally sounds like a Nazi, right? What the Frick? Yeah. Maybe the frickin' Nazis are is our title this episode. They did mention I don't want to get into too much history, but they did mention like the Desert Fox, who was an actual person. Oh. Cause they have the Desert Hawk in this. And they're and like, I think we've done the Desert Fox before. Yeah. But they say, we don't want to tackle both a Desert Fox and a Desert Hawk. So Desert Fox was some notorious Nazi guy. Okay. That's all I really know. I think we've, I think we've seen him in a previous issue, actually. Um, yeah. And did they take, did they take Frick hostage at the end? They took him, they, the uh, rebels or the raiders gave them over to the, gave him over to the allies as a show of good faith or something. Gotcha. So I assume Nick and crew took him somewhere to be arrested or imprisoned. And Nick's all like, quite a gal, that Sheila. Mm-hmm. Have met a female that brave <gasps> since Pamela Holly. Oh, yeah. He does mention Pamela. That was cool. The, yeah, that is cool. Then he's like, doesn't matter. We're never going to see her again. And I didn't look it up, but I would be surprised uh, if we ever did see her again. I bet you she's never back. Well, do you want to be spoiled? Yeah. You're right. She's never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. That seems like okay. a foreshadow if I ever heard one, but I guess not. So um, let's see. What are we doing next week? I don't know. That's your job. Four more comics. We are going to talk about Tales to Astonish, 87. Tales of Suspense, 85. The X-Men, 27. And Daredevil, 23. Awesome. And um, where can they find us if they want to talk to us about this? MakeOursMarvel.com has all the links to... You know, the subscriptions you need. It has, of course, the post to every show if you'd like to just play it that way. It's got a, 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 a what do you call it? A contact form if you want to write us or you could write us directly. Podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. Um, so we're going to try an experiment. I, I put this out in a Twitter poll and the votes are overwhelmingly in favor. Oh, already? Okay. Yeah. I... I recently read my first epic collection from Marvel. We talked about that last episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I think we mentioned on the show. And it was pretty great. Really enjoyed that format. Um, and I got to thinking that some people in the past have suggested, what about putting together collections of individual series? Like, do a Fantastic Four reprint collection, basically, of our previous commentaries. And so here's the experiment. We're uh, right now on the feed alongside this episode is the first Make Ours Marvel epic collection. And it is the first 18 issues of the Fantastic Four, our discussions of them from previous episodes bundled together into one. 
here's the thing, folks. I, as I'm saying this in this recording, I have not put it together yet, but sometimes our conversations on an issue can take half an hour. So 18 issues is going to make a really, really big podcast episode. Mm-hmm. That's why it's going to be called an epic collection. So it's an experiment. We'll see how the downloads go. We would love to hear your thoughts on Twitter or an email if you listen to it. Um, does it feel like it flows? Does it make for a nice listen? What are your thoughts? And if you like it, if there's people out there listening to it and liking it, we may start putting these out every month or two. Um, but yeah. But only to $100 Patreon subscribers. <laughs> first, we have to have a Patreon before they give you a $100 Patreon subscriber. <laughs> well, first, we have to give them one for free, right? That's true. The first taste is free. First taste is free. Um, but yeah. So anyways, go out there. Not the $100 Patreon subscriber thing. We, we, <laughs> we don't have a Patreon. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. And we'll, if, if you like it, I'll do more. It's probably going to be a little bit of work. So if no one cares, then I probably won't do more. But if you like it, let me know. Yeah. Okay. So I guess on that note, I should probably um, talk about how you can follow me on Twitter because I'm John Reads Comics. You can follow Mike on Twitter because he's Kaiser the Great. You can follow my shows on Twitter because they're pretty awesome and they're in my pinned tweet, uh, which is uh, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK podcast. And also... um, um all the pouches and image comics podcast is at all the pouches on Twitter. And that's it, right? Nothing else. That's it. Okay, sweet. So we'll be back next time to explore more October, 1966 goodness. And until then, or until the high evolutionary makes a new Jesus make ours. Marvel. Marvel.